Edison once said, I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Hello everyone and welcome to Nerdy Optometrist, a podcast channel for all things optometry. This is your host, Upti Bora. Our guest for today is an inventor and a scientist who have done immense work in the field of research. I am so happy to welcome our guest for today, Dr. Ravi Bakaraju. He is an associate professor and a founder and chairman of Enthalmic Group of Companies. Ravi is an accomplished translational researcher who is a lead inventor on several grant patents and active patents application around known lens designs and concepts spanning myopia control technology, presbyopia, astigmatism, and other vision correction platforms. The research and development team led by Ravi has developed innovative vision correction products that have translated into multiple commercial licenses. Ravi's outstanding scientific achievements, leadership, and innovationary thinking led his path into the creation of Enthalmic. He's a recipient of numerous international awards. Some notable ones include American Optometric Foundation's William Isel Fellowship in 2009, the runner-up for 3M Eureka Prize for Emerging Leader in Science in 2014, Australia, the prestigious Erwin M. and Beatrice Borish Outstanding Young Scientist Award from the American Academy of Optometry in 2015. That's the year when I actually met him and I was actually cheering in the audience while he was receiving that award and an outstanding achiever recognition from Elvi Prasad Eye Institute Alumnus India in 2016. It's such an honor to have you on this podcast and a warm welcome, Ravi. Thank you so much, Upti. That was a so, so kind note. Uh, I'm really, really um, thankful for the opportunity that you gave me on your podcast. I've been following your work and I really appreciate what you do for the optometry community and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Ravi. Now, your career, the entire trajectory is so amazing. I I don't know where to start, but I'm going to start from the very beginning. My favorite question, how did you bump into optometry? Uh this is um, this is basically a very inter- going to be a very interesting uh, one to share with so my introduction to the field of optometry um can wholly be accounted to serendipity um i actually like many other um, indian students aspired to get into the indian institute of technology mm-hmm. and uh, and nose dive not once but twice and sometime in uh, late 2001 i think Uh, a brochure was brought to my attention that disclosed information about a, an optics and vision science program which was offered by Bits Pilani mm-hmm. in conjunction with LVPI i thought that it was lead it would lead me into the field of optical physics and i was really hoping to amalgamate it with some mathematics based fun however after commencement of the course i soon realized that the program involved heavy duty biology physiology and clinical sciences with very little optical physics components right. having said that within no time i fell in love with the curriculum i started streamlining my efforts and i set myself a platform on ophthalmic biophysics which is a blend of optical physics that i love and ophthalmic clinical sciences that the program offered so i thought I landed in a perfect place but it was not planned whatsoever it was just serendipity as i said right it's so funny i i was choosing a, a field in medicine so that i don't have to deal with math that was my idea 
of getting into anything medicine which is biology but no math or no calculations at all <laughs> i i was just hoping to only do physics there uh, but i don't know i just basically was bombarded with anatomy and biology and uh, and that's where i met nisha because she helped me out in anatomy and physiology because i was like <laughs> i couldn't understand any of that <laughs> but well i do agree optometry is such an amazing profession and it literally lets you choose from its umbrella of you know uh, various options to go on and you know get the best of what you like or what you're passionate about and put it in the field so that's that's the beauty of optometry as a profession overall absolutely agree with you okay so currently you are an entrepreneur but your journey definitely is a uh, very very interesting from being you know as you mentioned where you started uh, not hoping to be in optometry but you bumped into it and then i want to know what happened from there till your journey in australia to starting your company how how was that road map like yeah sure uh, uh, let's talk about it i guess so, so so going back i would say rewinding the clock to 2006 so soon after uh, graduation um, i moved to sydney mm-hmm. australia to pursue my phd at the university of new south wales sydney and uh, mm-hmm. to work on my dissertation the topic was advanced optical modeling of presbyopic contact lenses uh, using schematic eyes um mm-hmm. it was a four year journey met uh, you know a lot of good people my mentors professor erman and and professor eric papas basically took me on and and they taught me so many things as i said i've, I've always been grateful to them and i continue to be grateful to for, to them because i think they set up a platform for me to basically stand up uh, on my own feet one of my dissertation highlights um was the genesis of extended depth of focus using higher order aberration techniques this was first published mm-hmm. in the chapter 7 of my phd thesis in september 2010 and this seminal research work spurred advanced contact lens products that are currently sold around the world by renowned manufacturers for presbyopia and myopia management applications so with deep humility wow. i can actually uh, basically say that i take pride that uh, my uh, work four years of work basically transformed into various products that are sold around the world so yeah i guess the credit goes to obviously uh, all the hard work that went in and primarily uh, to to my supervisors because i think without them it would have been very hard for me to basically pull that off but uh yeah that's basically from 2006 to 2010 so following my phd i started my full time employment as a optics and vision scientist so that was my first full time job at brown holden mm-hmm. in october 2010 mm-hmm. between 2010 and 2017 i was very fortunate to actually work with very closely with professor uh, holden until he passed away in 2015 and even right. after his passing i was very fortunate to be given numerous opportunities to lead various projects and again with deep, deep humility i can say that i was able to rise to every occasion with mm-hmm. my with the support of my great mentors and colleagues uh, by late 2017 I moved up the ranks quite quickly and I was heading the uh, entire R&D division at the institute. So to right. summarize that journey I would say basically from 2010 October to July 2019 
I think it was a breathtaking roller coaster ride, which has taught me so much in so little time. Mm-hmm. Between 2018 and 2019, things changed a bit, and we all appreciate things change with time. And I happened to go through an ordeal that brought a great degree of psychological pain. And you see, when you're caught up in tumultuous times, sometimes our vision gets a bit foggy. and we just need to break right. free of the routines and we have to make conscious efforts to clear things up not only for ourselves but for our families too because right. you see when terrible things happen to us the two things can basically be outcomes one they can either ruin us or they can provide us with an opportunity to profoundly improve ourselves it really depends on how we handle the situation that's thrown at us I took those moments of pain as an opportunity to reflect. And one of my gurus Ray Dalio rightly says pain plus reflection equals to progress. So in middle of 2019 I decided it was time to say goodbye to my old colleagues which brought me mm-hmm. to a junction where I had to decide which way to go. There was a significant career fork ahead of me. I had two options. either play it safe and look for a job either in academia or industry or take mm-hmm. a plunge and build everything from scratch after due consideration with support from family and friends i opted for the later path i was very fortunate to have unconditional support from three of my long standing colleagues who joined my mission as co-founders of the company which obviously made things much easier to navigate well the rest is past in just over a year okay. we are a family of 12 and we are counting we, we definitely want to dig deeper into this uh, your company and the journey there but i have one question about the fantastic journey and the way you have shared it i feel i already have so many learnings within that one answer i usually ask for a take away message at the end but i feel this conversation will have tons of learnings as uh, with each of your answers that you share so talking about you said that uh, you moved at, to australia to do your phd did you have a clarity that okay after i do this i want to do phd or were you struggling because a uh, majority of my listeners are students and i do feel they do struggle what should i do should i just do phd because everybody is doing it or that sounds fancy how did you make that decision well to be very honest that decision was made in pretty much the second year of optometry so you can probably uh-huh. ask any of my classmates i had my clear road map so setting up an ophthalmic biophysics center working towards that pretty much was established in my head i just didn't plan it to be in 2019 i just said well this is basically what the outcome would right. be but taking a step backwards back and answering your questions about phd it's again the passion for research you see i i ha- always had passion for research and again any of my um, classmates back uh, in hyderabad would watch for that basically and 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 endorse that uh, without even a blink because i've always said to them look that's where i'm going to go research that's where i'm going to research and in fact right. uh, i've planned to actually go to the states to be very honest uh, but then i was in a in a dilemma like uh, i have to go through this gre episode or i don't have time 
I'm going to just directly jump in and without without. So I finished my um, uh, bachelor's in in August 2006, and 15th mm-hmm. of September 2006, I started my PhD. And and wow. and 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 a, and a fun fact. Well, fun fact. I shouldn't say fun fact, but I think <laughs> um, an interesting fact to share is that I I got my scholarship um, provisionally approved without actually finishing my degree. And the credit really goes to Professor Fiona Stapleton. So she gave me a call. I still remember this day. I was in uh, level three. um of lvpi uh, in the cecopd mm-hmm. it's about 6 am or so and i got a call from professor stapleton and she said hey you've applied for a scholarship and you haven't even finished your degree i only have seven transcripts where's the eighth one and i said look the exams are in july and she goes but then you reapply and i said no please consider with what i what i have so far so she actually took it to grs and she gave me a provisional approval before even i finished because my gpa was so high wow. Uh, I think it was 9.8 or I don't remember 9.8 9.9 out of 10 and they said you know what in the last semester if you basically come back in flying colors we get you a scholarship so it was a provisional offer and I'm I'm really grateful uh, for for the help that she's basically offered at the times of need and she's done that many many times to many many individuals so you see when that's some you know t- a message where you can clearly see that when people grow and have a standing I think they gain even more respect by you know yeah. helping others and i think she's a is a, a, a an absolute you know top example for uh, setting setting that platform standing on the platform and being able to help others to get onto that platform rather than just walking away you see so i'm i'm grateful to many many people and and i think uh, i have to obviously point out that between 2013 and 2000 no 2012 and 2015 i worked so closely with professor holden i was you know learning pretty much every minute like there's so much right. exposure and i was just fortunate uh, just fortunate to basically be able to interact with so many giants in the field and and then right. of, of course uh, the individual's attitude uh, towards basically learning you see i always feel like you should be like a sponge like soak up right. every bit of information and knowledge that you see like it's freely for is experience somebody else has gone through it why are you going to learn from scratch you just basically look at them and learn so so right. there's there's many many examples and i think it's all about mindset upti that's that's the take home for that sentence or that paragraph absolutely i, uh, I actually need to do a huge shout out to all the mentors i personally have an experience especially in iker industry i feel the people who have such huge experiences and the struggles that they have gone through they make sure you know you don't have to go through that that's what i've seen uh, universal practice anywhere in optometry whether all across the world and i really want to thank each and every mentor you know who working so hard to provide this platform for you know any anyone trying to do something good for the industry absolutely agree with you now talking about how you mentioned right that you had a clear idea that you like research you're going to go into research you knew that way back when you were doing your undergrad but research itself isn't uh, very popular or you know it's not very intense in the indian optometric curriculum like how did you think of okay research is the way i want to go how was that clarity and how did you realize how important research is it's a very uh, good question so Uh, the way i saw and i have continued to basically held that opinion is research is an essential component that is required 
for ongoing refinements of the collective thinking of scientific community at large right and i'm not specifying you know just optometry or, or medical science right. or it's just basically that's the platform and and to be very honest um i it was not really uh, given to me as as a suggestion i never asked anybody saying i just basically felt like i always mm-hmm. had this inclination to reason things out to ask the questions to formulate a hypothesis to say why and and i guess that's probably uh, has helped me because you see a res- what 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 does a researcher do a researcher you know should aim to formulate a hypothesis should mount robust experiments to test that hypothesis and uh, draw a reasonable conclusion based on only the gathered evidence which is the difficult part but right. that's basically uh, research in a nutshell now while many of the researchers are well aware of this prerequisite we often get caught up into various types of biases of course or always often unintentional that does not allow them to propel themselves nor the field forward so i think if we can take those biases away we can push the field forward and i have always basically wanted to do that and and research gives me that opportunity to push the field forward Absolutely. if i were to basically answer you know like two main issues that i still fail which i think that there needs to be some degree of refinements in terms of how we do research uh, two main problems i would say uh, currently that we are facing not just um, optometry but uh, across the scientific community but let's just focus on let's say optometry field i think two main problems that i would like to see um, sorted mm-hmm. at least in the next i would say 5 to 10 years is reproducibility crisis because people just do an experiment once and then they think they had a eureka moment and then they wrap it up but it's very it's very hard to find mm-hmm. people who or groups yeah. of people who repeat those studies multiple times you see and it's that's re- that's really science that's what is needed but the 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 counter argument uh, to reprodu- reproducibility crisis is that you see people will say ah it's kind of hard to address um uh, an already half answered or answered question because there's very little incentive for those researchers to repeat those studies because those funding bodies right uh, first of all funding is so hard to get in the first place and if you go in with an application saying i'm going to repeat that study it doesn't work that way you see grants are often awarded uh how do i say for right. first best in best rest with a rosy research experiment and and the problem is that if you set up rosy experiments one after the other and not thoroughly going through and and making sure that we an- answer the first question what happens is those actually leave questions as what they are questions so i feel like there there needs to be some degree of push into repeating studies and that's what i really miss um, in in the field that i really mm-hmm. thought that would probably be by default which i don't see that and then the second thing that bothers me in terms of what i feel should be changed is Uh, data anonymity like you see there's 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 these funding strings and the ownership links and uh, to the funding bodies and somehow the anonymity issue basically right. has an influence of data quality and output and i feel like that needs to change and there are solutions out there we just basically are not ready to embrace yes. them yet but um, you've heard of blockchain obviously and and everybody talks about blockchain but leveraging blockchain based decentralized framework for uh, publishing scientific outcome uh, using shared governance models 
will be really the future of science because then you can address these uh, anonymity issues and it's decentralized and i think maybe that's probably one thing that i would uh, like you to interview someone who's you know expert in that field to see how they can leverage that technology to advance our field you know, optometry in general so that's that's my take on research i'm already learning so much and you're the first one who is actually i think i'm talking about research and scientists and patents and you know i have a focus of this podcast episode but i never thought blockchain uh, usually when people talk about it it's always in terms of finance right they say oh, how it's going to affect, affect the economy i had never really thought of it uh, in research point of view but i definitely will try my best to get someone who is an expert in that and you know get some episode around this i definitely take that as my my homework uh, for for this podcast now talking about your journey from researcher to entrepreneur which you mentioned in bits and pieces how was that experience when i'm as you mentioned you know it was you were at uh, a junction you didn't know which way to go but you chose to be an entrepreneur how was that journey so uh, as i've uh, said um, i think in one of the answering one of the questions um establishing an ophthalmic biophysics center of excellence uh, has been a long right. dream, long time dream in fact like you can pretty much ask uh, when they lend in most of my friends endorse that yeah you've said this for 18 years now or 17 years to be precise or 18 years to be precise because the seed right. was already sowed and it links back to the first or the second year uh, of my um, career in optometry because i i always wanted to i just never planned right. it to be in 2019 So so the way I see it is the employment ride uh, from a, a a postdoctoral researcher uh, to head of R&D in the span of let's say 7 8 years it was uh, it was a necessary mm-hmm. crash course detour <laughs> which was exercised only to equip myself uh, with necessary skills and relationships so, yeah. to do a better job you see starting everything from scratch is already daunting and then you don't have enough um, arrows in your quiver uh, that's not going to basically win you the game right so i think I, i went out to collect my arrows and i stacked them up in a quiver and i and and that really uh, one of the one of the key things that basically transformed uh, my thinking i guess uh, in the in the learning process is i learned that good good capable people and good culture are two essential ingredients required to build an organization whether it's a startup or whether it's a huge organization and losing any one of those ingredients can literally amount to the organization's right. demise right that's how i see it so so the key part of being a leader or being an entrepreneur i thought was to be able to connect well right. with your people because you see trust is everything in any relationship and sometimes people don't uh, you know give it uh, so much consideration or due thought but we spend a lot of awake hours at oh, yes. work than at home and we forget to weigh the element right. of trust at work you see trust is everything you because when you have people and those people can pick you when you fall they can give you their back you don't have fear you can go run and chase the things that you want to run and that is basically what has helped us because we've, we've we formed a team now and the team it's almost like talking to yourself in a mirror and that's what really makes things um have momentum and and you see right. momentum is your friend and you don't want to lose momentum 
So, so from a researcher to entrepreneur, I would say that's basically uh, what I would like to share uh, with your audience. That's that's wonderful. Is you're just extending your family. Absolutely. Now, like, talking about uh, and Thalmic and your company itself, like, what do it offer? Because it has a very unique, uh, you know, business idea, which I really want you to share. And it for people like me, you know, who are not very much into the the research side, how would you kind of explain it? What does it offer to? Uh, I I will I will answer this with the uh, with careful um, consideration and thought because obviously I. I can only say things in pub, what's in public right. domain. Otherwise, uh, I have to right. get a board approval. So, so I would basically be able to talk about Anthalmic, um, you know, in a general sense that it's a young startup mm-hmm. R and D organization, which is currently focusing its work um, developing next generation contact lenses and spectacle solutions for myopia management and presbyopia. So, in terms of um, our proprietary technologies. Um, uh, in an essence, we are trying to address the current mm-hmm. bottlenecks in the field, and uh, and we are hoping to advance the field with newer technologies in the coming years. And I guess um, the audience have to be stay tuned over the next six months to uh, to find what we're working on. I guess that's pretty much what I can say about um, the Enthalmix offering at this point in time. And hopefully, in six months' time, there'll be more to talk about. Absolutely. And I'm sure we all are looking at, you know, what's what's new and how your organization is bringing revolution in the optical as well as eye care industry overall. So I really appreciate, you know, you sharing the bits and pieces because I do know you had discussed that. Okay, I can only talk so much. <laughs> but talking about one big essence of what uh, Enthalmic is working on is, you know, you have tons of patents that you are filing. How is that process, if you can give a generic overview for someone who is having idea, but they don't know how that process works? Absolutely. I'm happy to do so. However, uh, before answering that question, it is important to make one disclaimer that I am obviously not a patent attorney, and therefore I would not be in a position to uh, provide professional advice on that topic. But I'm very happy to share my own experience with that process in general, and more importantly, how I approach that process. So, so you see, patent is a legally enforceable right for a device or a method. So that's just pretty much what it is, mm-hmm. uh, and. There are three essential requirements for a patent application to be successful. So it should be novel. In other words, it should be inventive or innovative. Mm -hmm. There should be a utility factor. It should be useful for something. Mm -hmm. And the third is it shouldn't be obvious. So if this is pretty much the checklist. So novelty factor, utility factor, and not obvious factor. And once we pass through these checklists, of course, you effectively end up having um, a monopoly. So if and when granted, a patent mm-hmm. will offer a monopoly, which basically means it has uh, it offers the, the patent holder exclusive commercial rights to that invention. Conventionally speaking, it's usually for a 20-year tenure. That's called a standard patent. Mm-hmm. And for utility and innovation patents, it's between 8 and 10 years. There are shorter lifespans. And for pharma industry, usually it's it is about 25 years. That really doesn't apply to um, our field much, but that's mm-hmm. extended because usually the amount of research that is needed to actually reduce the idea to practice in pharma and running clinical trials, it's usually a lengthy process. It can sometimes take right. 20 years. 
and then um, when when they finish all of the work, they pump in so much cash into it, and when they wanted to monopolize, it's going to be open for public. So usually for pharma, they get another five years. So so answer your question about your know, like if your audience, you know, anyone has developed a new device or a method, and they may want to consider patenting to obtain those commercial rights to monopolize that idea. I would offer uh, a couple of uh, you know points for them to consider uh, okay. to facilitate that thought process. You see, so the first and the foremost that we often do um, is we should always weigh the commercial returns. If make sure that the commercial returns outweigh the time, effort, and the cash that is required to obtain and maintain a patent, because okay. um, you need to do that balancing act. And it's right. obviously not easy because at, at the start, when we, we come up with an idea, it's very hard to know what the value of it, unless you pretty much, you know, you can through, you can see from A to Z. But right. there are processes in place, for example, something called a provisional application. See, mm -hmm. provisional application does not uh, basically, you know, it does not break the bank. So it's an inexpensive way to buy some time on your idea. So you launch an application uh, with your idea and it, you get about 12 month period to decide whether you want to advance that patent or abandon that patent. So that's right. one approach. So when people are in this junction where they can't decide whether the commercial returns outweigh the time, effort and cash required, um, they can try and uh, delay this process by about 12 months without incurring significant costs. Mm -hmm. So the monopoly a patent offers obviously mitigates, uh, should mitigate the risk of IP theft. You see, that's something that we need to also consider in terms of patenting process. Right. And they should also, they should also be confident that a, a thorough search reveals no other similar technology. You see, if it's a me too product, uh, going through a laborious, you know, you know, intensive, mm -hmm. uh, painstaking uh, process, which is extremely resource hungry, may not really be viable. So it's it's on a case by case basis, and and the way we do it is we basically um, mm -hmm. have this ability to be able to differentiate what is likely to and what may not actually you know be a useful or an innovative or a, uh, a leapfrogging technology. So we, we stage them internally. We go through our filtering process and we usually file a lot of provisionals. And then from those provisionals, we, we, we focus on working on them over a 12 month period and then try and fine tune them and narrow them and then pick the best five or best six to actually go forward with. So that's basically how we adapt. We have adapted that strategy not saying that's a strategy that everybody else would adapt, but that's the basics of the patents uh, from obviously a naive person. But we are living in an, an era of information everywhere. And there's two pathways that we can take. One is, A, I'm not a patent attorney, so obviously I can't do this. Or B, is like, they don't fall off, fall from the sky. Everybody goes through a learning process. Right. And what is that learning process? Well, just expose yourself to that learning process because everything can be taught using first principles. There's nothing called rocket science. Even rocket science <laughs> right. can be taught using first principles. At least those are my principles. So I just put in right. efforts with B 
beautiful team that we have here and it's just basically a collective effort as always and we come up we bounce we bounce we bounce and we basically collect our ideas and write them up now is that business model uh, basically going to be successful uh, i don't know is it going to be a failure i don't know but what we know is we have a process and right. we are sticking to our process and it obviously takes time to know what the outcome of those process and we're just waiting for the outcome to unfold itself that's that's so uh, that's so informational and thank you so much for sharing that overview of the entire process i do feel that uh, this this is definitely a very very informational piece uh, that you shared about the entire process uh, and thanks for the disclaimer but i definitely do agree that people do have ideas bouncing around but this idea of you know going through the provisional and then you know utility what is the checklist what you need to think whether it is even uh, a patable idea to begin with i think that's that's very important for us to vet it out and thanks for sharing that entire process that you have been successfully able to implement it now talking about your journey i'm definitely as amazing at it as it is it would not have been without any you know hurdles if you had to pick up or share any major hurdles during your journey what would that be sure um definitely so there's two things obviously i'm still um the uh, i have to again put another disclaimer that i'm still struggling with these two and uh, i i usually um look up to uh, my guru uh, professor herman to always basically uh, to try and give me that support whenever i need so these are the two the first one it started right from day one of incorporation i usually um i'm a bit uh, impatient so i get discouraged when something doesn't move as fast as i want it to be and people who are around me always say well you know what the way you want it to move i don't think it can and and i say no we can't say no we can't say can't we have to move it fast so so over a period of time i've started appreciating that uh, good things actually take time especially when we're building things from scratch so keeping calm and being patient i should say um is is something that i'm still struggling uh, with uh, because it's just not my personality but i think i'm going to make it my virtue and hopefully that's something that uh, I've, i'll i'll improve uh, on myself but the second thing is time management it it it, it uh, it's it links to the um the fact mm-hmm. uh, you know about the ideas and the patenting process that we just discussed you see sometimes we just do these whiteboarding exercises we have whiteboards everywhere and we just you know like start uh, throwing a research question and then there'll be ideas in, around the room and and then there'll be so many ideas that you see everything looks attractive and that's something that is very very dangerous for a startup organization and and i right. think many entrepreneurs face this this is time management to decide <laughs> which one is the key essential piece that we should be working on so we rely on some key personal uh, basically at the at the uh, company where who who end up wearing multiple sometimes all hats so it's very hard for managing time uh, to get their time to be able to pick one over the other but we are learning and uh, we need to make conscious efforts to contain our ideas and and channel our energy in the right direction to propel the organization forward you see so time management is a second item that i think is a hurdle but i have to say that there's been a lot of improvement over the last 14 months and I'm, we are hoping that there'll be 
uh, will will master that too in time with time. I, not just as a startup, I feel that we we struggle with time management itself. And you are a father of two kids, so you have to manage and you know give them time plus manage an entire company. I'm pretty sure you know it is it is a huge struggle by itself. We talk about women and you know how they do uh, work life balance, but I feel it's equally difficult for men out there. Uh, so yeah, kudos to you, and I'm pretty sure you know uh, we all are in the process of learning of especially the piece of time management. Yeah, I have to. Uh, I definitely agree. I second all <laughs> what you said there. So it's yeah. I think uh, everybody has their own way of managing it. I think we just need to find it mm-hmm. um, that right way of managing time. And uh, I guess once we once we are open to learning and we are happy to accept mistakes and and learn from those mistakes, I think it's not that difficult to streamline our efforts it's just attitude i've always said that attitude and aptitude can get you anything that's that's wonderful all right so now we did talk a lot about you know optometry your journey research everything but now i want to know you as a person so we're going to go to the fun side the fun segment of my podcast which i call the rapid fire uh, the rule is simple i give you questions and you give the first prompt rapid answers that you uh, that you think about for those questions so are you ready for some fun sure <laughs> <laughs> all right perfect my first question if you were not an optometrist which other profession do you see yourself in engineering engineering all right yeah did, you did mention that you wanted to be that second question your favorite destination favorite destination good question uh, tasmania all right. Rank in the order of your preference of what you like to do the most. Teaching, research, and being an entrepreneur. Research, entrepreneur, and teaching. Perfect. I Actually, I had this question, but you have answered it. But let me ask you if you have any other answer for that. One habit that annoys you the most. Well, my habit, not being able to be patient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Your hobby or something that you do during your downtime? Cooking. Cooking. Oh, interesting. Your favorite cuisine then? Well, I basically go all over, but Indian obviously is my favorite. All right. If you could interview any guest, dead or alive, who would that be? Uh, Einstein. Einstein. Wonderful. And do you have any question in mind that you have to ask? No, I, I think I just wanted to know... Um, how he basically cracked space and time. Uh, all right. <laughs> the fabric of cosmos, space and time. That really intrigues me, how if somebody can uh, summarize um, the entire universe in, in just a simple equation <laughs> involving two variables, space and time. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Last question. If there's one thing you would like to change or add an optometry curriculum, what would that be? I'd like, uh, a lot more technology involvement when basically uh, people uh, talk about clinical sciences I I want um, the next generation optometry to start amalgamating and embracing technology into clinical sciences so that's something that is not taught there right. the, people think that people think well most of us basically were taught those are the principles that we you know the era we grew up in uh, but I would say we can't segregate disciplines. I think these days it's pretty much interweaved right. and, and, and um, reliance on technology is only going to 
to grow as as a function of time from here in the 21st century so i feel like there's there needs to be a lot more technology related components and and coding and a bit more uh in embedded into optometry curriculum absolutely i definitely feel that uh, we need to embrace technology and having it in an optometry curriculum would definitely be super helpful so with that i end my rapid fire thank you so much for being so such a sport and you know answering the answer questions so quickly i hope you enjoyed it thanks yes i did <laughs> before i let you go your final take away message for all my listeners Uh, i have a couple actually so first of all i would basically say that true wealth mm-hmm. is time and freedom and um, and i think set goals chase them identify and diagnose mm-hmm. problems if you encounter one or two use learnings and redesign those goals and continue chasing those goals and repeat if required because those quality the quality of our decisions really determines the quality of our life and um, seek excellence don't fear failure only fear mediocrity and the most important thing is don't gauge success by conventional measures accumulated mm-hmm. wealth or money money should be a byproduct right. of excellence and yeah i guess that's that's pretty much what my principles and i'd like to stick with them awesome awesome thank you so much for such an amazing episode i definitely have tons and tons of learning myself thank you so much once again ravi i really appreciate you coming on this episode thank you upti thank you very much for having me on your show <laughs>